This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, we are in the, the third week of a message series that we've called, You Need a Bigger God. And our, our prayer for every person who walks through the doors of Christian Chapel in 2019 is that you will have a, a bigger understanding and a bigger experience of who God is this year. It's not that God needs to get bigger, right? He, he's plenty big, plenty strong, plenty wise, but there are times where we let our problems, we let our circumstances shrink our view of God. And so what we're asking in 2019 is that God will come and just open our eyes to how big, how strong, how powerful he is, and that as we grow in that understanding, it will also be the experience of our soul, of our mind, uh, that, that just in, in every aspect of our life, we'll really begin to understand that. Now, I, I love preaching these kind of messages. I love talking about the, the incredible power and might of God. Uh, I think they're, they're really encouraging for us. They're encouraging for me personally. But there is a, a caution that I think we need to pay attention to. When we start to pray that God will be bigger in our lives in 2019, um, we can easily give in to the temptation of thinking, God, I need you to be bigger so that you can make my kingdom, my plans bigger. Right, that God, I want a bigger view of you so that you can come and give everyone else a bigger view of me. Right? But that, that's not exactly how it works, not how it should work at least. How it should work is as we get a bigger picture of who God is, as we grow in our understanding through the scriptures, as we grow in our experience of his power and might, it will always result in us being willing to give up our kingdoms for the sake of his kingdom. So we will no longer pray, God, come and bless what I want to do. But instead, as we get a big picture of God, our prayers will shift to, God, what are you doing and how can I be a part of it? And so we're going to kind of continue down the road we started last week in Acts 1 and 2. And this morning, I want to talk to you for just a little bit about how God brings transformation to us so we can bring transformation to others. In order to put it another way, we have been transformed to bring transformation. Okay, so this is kind of uh, part two of, of last week. If you missed last week, you can um, check that out on the, the Christian Chapel website or the, the podcast in iTunes. But just a, a quick little two-minute summary to, to catch you up because it's really going to be kind of our launching point for today. So last week we talked about how um, God comes and gives information to us. It leads to inspiration. There's a season of obedience, and then there's transformation. Okay, so we, we looked in Acts chapter 1, the story of the disciples. It's after Jesus' resurrection, right before he ascends to heaven. And in Acts 1, 4, he gives them information. He tells them, wait in Jerusalem until you've received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and even tells them you're going to get it in a few days. So he tells them what to do. He tells them where to do it. He even gives them an idea of how long it's going to take. And we talked last week about when, when you need to experience God in a bigger way, it's always going to start with learning information about him, right, from the scriptures, from other believers. When you need direction in your life, God will give that information to you. It's just a matter of seeking it and asking him for it. But the, Jesus doesn't leave them just with the information. He also gives them inspiration. In Acts 1.8, he tells them that when the Holy Spirit comes, they're going to receive power and they're going to be his witnesses. And so he says, here's what you're supposed to do, and now the inspiration is here's why you should do it and why you're going to want to do it. And so for many of us, we, we can find ourselves in the season of, I know what God wants for my marriage, I know what he wants for me as a teenager, I know what he wants for my finances, uh, but I, I just don't really want to do it. Right? It doesn't sound like that much fun, it sounds hard, it sounds difficult, it, it doesn't sound as easy as just doing what I want. 
And so in this season, what we want to start praying is for inspiration. We want to ask God to come and transform our relationship with him from just a list of rules we're trying to follow into a living and active faith where he sets our hearts on fire and the things he tells us to do become the things that we want to do. Right? And, and this is only possible through the work of the Spirit in us. And now when we, when we get in that season of inspiration, most of us at that point are ready to jump all in and say, okay, God, let's see the transformation you're going to bring. So for the, the disciples, it's a moment of, okay, make me, give me this power. Make me a witness for you. And yet there's this space between inspiration and transformation called obedience. For the disciples, they have to go back to Jerusalem and they have to wait like Jesus told them to wait. But they don't just passively wait, they actively wait. They join together in prayer. They get other believers to join with them. There are about 120 of them who gather together, and they decide we're going to commit ourselves to prayer until we receive the gift that Jesus has told us to do. Right? And it's a season of obedience where sometimes we give up before we receive the transformation that God has promised. It's in that season of obedience where you're doing the hard work of restoring or rebuilding a relationship. It's in the season of obedience where you're letting God prepare you for the dream to be fulfilled, right? It's in the season of obedience that you're taking the classes that you don't think you're ever going to use at any point again in your life because this is part of God's process for this season. But when you follow and faithfully obey through that season, you will arrive at the time where God brings his transformation. In Acts 2, we see him bringing transformation to the disciples. They are gathered together. They're praying, and it says that the the room begins to shake. There's a a strong wind that blows through. There's little pillars of fire that seem to appear over the top of their heads. And as they're praying, suddenly they begin to pray in languages that they did not learn and do not know. And as they look around the room at all of these experiences, they have this moment of recognizing this is what Jesus has promised. Right? He has showed up. And when God brings transformation to us, he's going to do it in ways that we don't have to wonder if it's arrived or not. When you're asking God to heal your marriage, there's going to come a moment where you recognize he has done it. Right? When you're asking him to draw your child's heart back to, to him, there will come a moment where you can look and see, yes, he's done it. When you're asking him to fulfill the dream, you're not going to live your whole life wondering, was it fulfilled or was it not? When he acts, we know it. Right? And, and this would be a, a great place to end the story of, man, God brings personal transformation to us, and it's awesome, and it's incredible. But if you've ever read the book of Acts at all, you know this is actually just the beginning of the story. And what we're going to see today is that when God brings transformation to us, it's so he can bring transformation through us. The work that God does in you is always intended to be too big, too strong, and too powerful to be contained in your life. It's always supposed to overflow out of you and into the world around you. And we see this with the disciples. So so they've had this experience, right? They've got the information, they've got the inspiration, they've obeyed. Then the Holy Spirit comes, and it is this supernatural event that's obvious to the world around them. Now, the the setting, the disciples and and, and some others, they're in an upper room, they're praying together, and there's a, a festival going on outside. So there are thousands of people who are gathered. And the spectacle of the arrival of the Holy Spirit is so great that this crowd begins to notice that something is going on. And they start to hear these men that they know are all from the area of Jerusalem. Suddenly they are speaking and praising and and praying to God in languages that they they don't know. And so the the crowd gathered outside starts to ask, what's going on up there? What are they doing? What are they? And some people are curious. 
Some people are, are critical. They start to say, oh, they're just drunk. Who knows? Just ignore them. But the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit creates an opportunity for people to notice and pay attention. Now, the same thing's going to happen in your life. When God comes and transforms your life, it will not only get your attention, it will get the attention of the world around you. And when you've been transformed, it's so you can bring transformation to others. And, and we see this work out in a couple ways. The first thing, when you've been transformed by God and it draws the attention of others, you've been transformed to stand up for Jesus in that moment. All right, so we see this with Peter. It says that then Peter stood up with the eleven. So the crowd begins to ask, what's going on? What are you guys doing in there? What's happening? And Peter stands up. Now, I, I've read this story for a, a long time. Right? Since I was a kid, I've read the story. And the, the picture I've always had in my mind was Peter stood kind of like I'm standing right now. Like he stood and he was kind of up by himself. He was isolated. He was on his own. He was speaking for God. And, and I always just had a, a lot of respect for Peter and thought, man, I don't know that I could do that. Right, this, this large crowd who some of them seem kind of angry, some of them seem kind of mean, some of them are genuinely curious, and Peter stands up to speak for them. Now, when God transforms your life, he's going to cause you to stand out. Right? When, when you're living whole and healthy in a broken world, people notice. When you genuinely love and care for your spouse, people notice. When there's a high level of respect in your home between parents and children, people notice. When you live a generous lifestyle, people notice. When you give your time to serve others, people notice. God's transformation will always cause you to stand out. But when it causes you to stand out, that's your opportunity to stand up for Jesus. Because he's not just causing us to stand out for our own attention or for our own acclaim, but ultimately he's calling us to stand out and to stand up because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And, and that can be a little intimidating for some of us. Because we feel like, well, man, I, I'm not the, I don't like public speaking. I'm not the one, I, I, I get tongue-tied. I don't have the right words to say. If people ask me, you know, why is your marriage so good? I kind of default to like, my wife is awesome. Uh, you know, and, and you just can't get anything out beyond that. It, and it makes you really nervous. You just feel like, man, if, if God's going to call me to a space like this, I'm really not interested in doing that. But what I noticed this week in probably because I'm slow, honestly, because it's been there the whole time. Peter stood with the 11. When God calls you to stand up, you never stand alone. You might be in your office, and you're the only believer there, and somebody asks you about your faith. Now, in, in that space, you're the only one speaking for Jesus, but you're not alone. You might be at your school or on your ball team or, or in your neighborhood and somebody starts to ask you about Jesus. Your life stands out and it's different, but you're still not alone. Peter stood with the 11. He stood not only with the confidence of the Holy Spirit, but with the confidence of the community that was gathered around him. See, when Jesus calls us to himself, it's not just into an isolated individual experience of salvation, but he calls us into a community. And so we always stand together, right? In Tulsa, we stand together. In our nation, we stand with other believers. All around the world today, we join our faith with other believers. This means that the most isolated believer in the world today is not alone because we all stand together. We've been brought together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if in your faith with Jesus, you are constantly feeling isolated and alone, you're doing it wrong. 
You're supposed to be part of a community. And when others stand with you, it's easier to stand. Right? And, and so this is what God has called us to, and this is what we're trying to do. This is what we do through our Kingdom Builders giving. We're standing with missionaries all over the world. When they receive our support each month, it is a sign, a symbol, an assurance to them. You are not alone. We are with you. Even if we're not there living with you, talking with you, walking with you, we are there in spirit. We are there in belief. We're there in our prayers, and we're there uh, financially with our giving. We are standing together so that we can stand up for Jesus in places where people don't know him. But when you stand up, it's not just going to be a stand up and everybody look at me because we're transformed not just to stand, but we're also transformed to speak. In Acts 2, it goes on to tell us, and Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. When Jesus causes you to stand out and you stand up by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is going to be an opportunity for you to speak about Jesus. And and this is the part where, for many of us, we start to get uncomfortable. We're okay living out our faith. We're even okay with people noticing that we're different. But it's, it's when it has to become verbal. Like, you have to actually tell somebody about what Jesus has done. You have to begin to tell them about how he's worked in your life. Those are the spaces where we start to get uncomfortable and we think, well, I'm, I'm just not equipped to do that. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. But you can read through, through Peter's speech later today in Acts chapter 2, and, and you'll find a couple themes in it that I think are, are pretty easy for you to apply in your life as well. When Peter speaks, his speech is Jesus-centered, and it's Jesus-dependent. He's just telling the simple story of the gospel over and over and over again. Right? He's telling them, look, we're, God sent Jesus to us. Because we're sinners, we did not respond well to him. In fact, Peter's pretty bold with the crowd there that day. He says, and some of you killed him, right? And and so he's speaking very clearly, but he says, death had no victory over him. Jesus was resurrected. Now he offers new life to us. We can repent of our sins. We can be baptized and we will be saved by Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit will come to us. He's just telling them a very simple story. Now, the the problem for many of us is that even when we do then begin to take the step and speak about Jesus, we're far more comfortable speaking about the external things Jesus has done for us than we are the internal things. So so we live in a, a pretty materialistic culture. I don't think anybody would argue that. And as Christians, we are supposed to view our possessions differently. We're supposed to view those as temporary things that God is allowing to pass through our lives. We never hold on to any of them too strongly. And so because of that, as Christians, we're typically okay talking about the way God has blessed us with A, B, and C, right? So God blessed me with this home. You have somebody over, and they're telling you how beautiful your home is, and, and you're pretty comfortable saying, yes, we, you know, we feel very blessed. God has provided for us so that we can live here. They, maybe they admire your job and say, man, I just wish I could have a job like that. And, and you legitimately can say, you know what? God directed my steps to get me here. He gave me these skills that, that I, some of them I was just kind of born with. I didn't really develop them. He opened just the right door at just the right time. You can go on the vacation, and, and people are telling you, man, that looks beautiful. And you're saying, I know, I was, God really blessed us. He really opened the door for us. Now, there is nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, as believers, we should be attributing every good thing in our life to the hand of God. But if the only time we speak about Jesus is when we're speaking about our material blessings, we are going to inspire jealousy and envy in the hearts of the people we're talking to more than we're going to point their attention and dependency to Jesus. So the challenge for us, especially in our setting, 
is that in our talks about Jesus, we don't want to just talk about what he's done for us. We want to talk about what he's done in us. More than people need to hear about your house, your boat, your vacation, your clothes, any of that kind of stuff, they need to hear about the peace, the hope, and the joy that Jesus has brought to your soul. They need to hear about how he has dealt with your deep-rooted insecurities, your fears, and your failures. They need to hear about how he has set you free from addictions and destructive behaviors. They need to hear about how your marriage once was on life support and now it's thriving. They need to hear about how God walked with you through the, valley, through the, the shadow. You know what that phrase is, right? It's in Psalm 23. They need to know it. Through every grief, through every sickness, through every suffering, we want to talk about what Jesus has done in us, not just for us. This is really the focus of Peter's message here. He's saying, let me tell you about Jesus. He came and we treated him terribly. And yet his response was to be resurrected from the dead and now share his victory with us. Right? He's just making this point again and again. Jesus brings life. And that's the message we take into our world. Jesus brings life into the darkness. Jesus brings life into the spaces you don't want to talk about. Jesus always brings Life. Peter says it, it really clearly a little bit farther down in Acts 2. He says in verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And you see, when we speak for Jesus, this is ultimately our, the, the form of our speech of, hey, in whatever area you're hurt, Jesus is stronger. In whatever area you're suffering, he brings hope. In whatever area you are bound up in darkness, he brings freedom. Because if he beat death for us, then he can beat anything you're facing this morning. Right? If he beat death, then your debt isn't as big of a deal. If he beat death, then your divorce doesn't disqualify you. If he beat death, then your disease can't separate you from him. If he beat death, then there's nothing you face that he's not strong enough to overcome. This is the speech we bring again and again and again. And, and what you'll find as you start to talk about Jesus is there are going to be some supernatural moments in life where Jesus gives you the ability to stand out, to stand up, and then to speak up. And as you begin to speak up, you, you're not going to be terribly eloquent. right? It might not be the most profound thing in the world, but what you're going to find is as you start to speak about the life of Jesus, it's going to meet the person you're talking to at just the point God has them in life. See, we believe the Spirit is directing our steps and he's directing the steps of everyone else. And he's going to bring these divine appointments in life where he's been stirring something in the heart of one of your coworkers, one of your classmates, one of your family members, your friends, the neighbor down the street. And you're going to be in the middle of a conversation. You're going to feel like, I, I just need to, I need to take this little road, this little opening in the conversation. You're going to start to talk about it. And in that moment, it's going to confirm to them the things that God has been saying and speaking and drawing them to himself. Our job is not to bring them all the way through salvation on our own. Our job is just to participate with what God is doing in that moment. But as we stand up, as we speak up, we're also transformed to invite. You see, we're not just newscasters telling the news about Jesus. We're not just teachers instructing people in the way of Jesus. But ultimately, we are people who've been transformed by him, and we're inviting others to be transformed as we are. Right? We, we see this with Peter. So you skip down to verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. As as God uses you to speak about Jesus, it's to invite people into this moment of decision. Conversations about Jesus will always end in decisions about Jesus. This isn't terribly popular in our culture. Right? In fact, if, if you would kind of gauge the, the current American response to this question that the crowd gives to Peter, of, oh, you told me about Jesus, now what should I do? The common American response would be, whatever you feel like doing. If it feels right, it must be good. So just go with that. So, so if you want to be a Christian, that's good. If you don't, if you just want to admire Jesus, that's good. If you're not sure this is for you, that's okay too. Right? But, but watch what Peter does. Brothers, what do we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Peter sees an opening, and he stomps on the gas and plows right through it. He says, you want to, oh, you want to know what to do? I'll tell you what to do. Here's the way. Here's how you're going to walk in it. Here's the new life it's going to bring for you. My prayer for you in 2019 is not only will you have opportunities to stand up for Jesus, not only will you speak for him by the power of the Holy Spirit, but that you and I will have opportunities to invite others to experience the same transformation that we have experienced. And if we're hesitant to do that, then my encouragement to you is to embrace the transformation of the Spirit in your life. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't invite somebody to participate in an experience that you have never walked through. And so if there's hesitancy in your heart this morning, perhaps it's time for you to get back on that road of saying, God, will you bring your deep and abiding transformation in my life? And now from that overflow, help me to share it with others. Peter concludes his his message with a a great reminder that, that I think is true then, it's true for us now. He says, first of all, the promise is for you. And now it's likely that gathered in that crowd on the day of Pentecost, there were people who had participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. They could have been in the crowd condemning him. They could have been in the crowd calling for Barabbas' release instead of his. They could have even been on site when he was hung on the cross. And so if if you're one of those people, imagine standing there and hearing Peter say, this Jesus whom you crucified is the Christ. That's going to hit you pretty hard. And and, and when he gets to the end and says, you can repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, you're going to kind of maybe think, yeah, not me. I was one yelling, crucify him. I was one that I've been telling my family and friends for years, that guy is crazy. He is not the Messiah. You shouldn't follow him. You shouldn't listen to him. And it's as if Peter can anticipate their objections and he can anticipate ours. Because we still respond the same way. You hear that salvation is free and available, that it's for everyone, everywhere, that your life can really be transformed. And you've already got your excuses ready to go. God can't transform my heart. I've been down this road before. You don't know how many promises I've made to him and broken. God can't bring freedom to me. I've been wrapped up in this addiction for far too long. God can't bring hope to my marriage. It's been busted for decades, and we're just trying to grind it out through this next season. And and yet Peter is very clear. He says, the promise is for you. Now, that you 
is not an individual. It's not like Peter's looking out at the crowd of thousands and picks out one person and says, it's for you and no one else. That you is a a plural you, right? In Oklahoma, we would say y'all. This promise is for y'all. It's for everyone, everywhere. It covers every single one of you. And so it covers you personally, but it also covers the person on your right and your left personally. And all of us from that day to this day are supposed to hear this message as God's direct words for us. The promise is for you. Your life will be changed, your sins will be forgiven, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit to walk in this new life. The promise is for you. So if you've never started your relationship with Jesus, the promise is for you now. And if you've never received that gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you now. Then he also says the promise is for you and your children. And I've, I've talked with a, a lot of parents, especially over the past couple months, and it, a common prayer for 2019 that I hear again and again and again is I want my kids to experience God in personal and powerful ways in 2019. And I've heard that from, from parents of our, our littlest preschoolers and elementary kids all the way up to parents who have grown adult children older than me. And they're saying, all, what I'm praying for this year is that my kids' hearts will be set on fire for God, that their decisions will be made through the lens of his kingdom instead of all the distractions and temptations of the world. That's a beautiful prayer, right? I'm going to join you in praying that for your kids. I'm going to pray it for my kids. But as I was thinking about those things this morning, just a a thought came to mind of it's really hard to give your kids something you don't have. And and so some of us for parents, we try to skip and, and we say the promise is for your children. But before the promise is for your children, the promise is for you. So if you're praying for your kids to have personal and powerful experiences of God's presence in 2019, you need to pray that you're going to have personal and powerful experiences of God's presence in 2019. If you want him to be bigger in their life, you've got to let him be bigger in your life. As you surrender to him, you are charting a path for your children to follow of this is the way, walk in it. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to get it right all the time. You're still going to lose your temper. You're still going to apologize. But what you're showing your kids is what I'm telling you is important for you is important for me. The promise is for me and the promise is for you. Now let's go. And, And then Peter tells us the promise is for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And that far off has has two meanings. First, it means for all those who are spiritually far off those who have absolutely no interest in Jesus, those who are antagonistic to him, those who are directly opposed to him, the promise is for them. But not just spiritually far off, also geographically far off. On that day, it's just a small group of people in Jerusalem. They're saying the promise is for everyone everywhere. You and I are here today because for centuries, believers have believed and practiced that the promise is for all who are far off and have given their lives to make sure everyone everywhere knows about this promise. This is why we participate in Kingdom Builders at Christian Chapel. We not only want to be part of what God is doing here in our community, but we want to make significant investments, making sure that those who are spiritually far off and those who are geographically far off will find out about Jesus and have an opportunity to respond to him. So we especially focus our, our global missions efforts to partner with people who are ministering to unreached people groups. People who live in lands where they are unlikely to meet other Christians, where they are unlikely to have access to the scriptures, where there are little to any churches. And we want to really make significant investments there because we believe the promise is for all who are far off. 
and your distance from a church should not keep you from experiencing the life change that Jesus died to give you. And so, so we're going to make those partnerships, and we're going to keep moving forward in those areas. But for us today, what it means is if you're spiritually far off, Jesus still has a plan for you. This promise of transformation is still for you. And then you can, you can kind of read down to the end. In Acts 2.40, it says, With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. See, the, the, the speech, the sermon that we have from Peter in Acts 2, it's the Cliff Notes version. All right, like Luke is writing on papyrus with a little quill pen, so he's, he probably got hand cramps after a while. So he can, only, he can only give us so much, right? It's not verbatim. He's not dictating everything that's been said. He's just kind of writing out, these are the highlights of Peter's message. But Peter is so passionate and so moved by the Holy Spirit that he is telling them again and again and again the stories of Jesus. Right? He's probably referring back to the Old Testament. He's telling them stories of their lives. He's doing everything he can to point their attention to the activity and the saving nature of Jesus Christ. He's telling them, you can be transformed as I've been transformed. Maybe Peter's even telling them his own story. Of, hey, I, I said I would die for Jesus, and I didn't make it through one night. I denied him three times on the night he was crucified. When he was at his most vulnerable, I was at my most unfaithful. And yet he came and he restored me and he brought me and he transformed my life. And now I'm standing here today to tell you the truth of who he is. Peter understood he had been transformed to bring transformation. And the spirit working in him made him passionate about seeing people respond to Jesus. And, and what happens? The church grows from 120 to 3,000 in one day. And it reminds us that God's transformation always goes farther and faster than we can imagine. And he always does more. Some of you, you've got, you've got dreams for 2019 of, man, if God showed up in a really big way, this is what it would look like. It would, it would have this result in my relationship with my spouse. It would have this result in my relationship with my kids or my parents. If God showed up in huge ways, this dream would be fulfilled. But what I want to encourage you with today is, is whatever your hope or dream is, God can do so much more than that. Right? When you think of your perfect, your most ideal outcome to 2019, he can do so much more. Peter stands with the 11 on the day of Pentecost. We don't know exactly what he's thinking, but there's a hostile crowd out there of thousands of people. And as he stands up and begins to speak, he might very well be thinking, Lord, just don't let us get stoned. Right, just get us out of here alive. If we can just make it through the day, that's fine. But what God has planned is for the church to go from 120 to 3,000. Now, we've, you might have read that story so much, you've lost the, the understanding of how miraculous that is. The church is born on that day, right? And, and the church explodes in growth. If one of you came in this morning and you said, hey, when service started, I had $120 in my pocket and I just checked, now I've got $3,000 in my pocket. We're all gonna wanna talk to you afterwards. What did you do? What are those pants made out of? What laundry soap did you use? 
right? Because we're going to look for anything of how can we get there? You want to own a small business. If you go into work tomorrow and you've worked for years to grow this business and, and you're finally at that kind of sustaining and things are stable, you've got 120 clients and you're happy and you're satisfied. And 9 a.m., you're working for those 120 clients. And at 4.30 p.m., you've got 3,000 clients. What are you going to think? You're thinking, that, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know how this got here. This is the experience the disciples have. They move from, man, maybe we just want to survive and get out of here so we can talk about what just happened because we don't know, to 3,000 people being added to the church that day. God is so big. He's so strong. He's so wise. He's so powerful. He's so kind. He's so loving. When his spirit goes to work in our world, he always does more than we could ever think, hope, or imagine. So in 2019, dream bigger dreams. In 2019, stand before God with open hands and say, this is what I want, but Lord, whatever you have, I'm for it. Wherever you want to lead, I'm in. Whenever you cause me to stand, to speak, to invite, I'll do it by the power of your spirit working in me because I believe you can do more. And, and, and just really feel like that's God's message for some of you this morning. You're just hoping for little things this year. And the spirit's coming today to tell you, I'm going to do more. You're hoping for a little bit of peace so you can sleep better at night. And he's saying, I'm going to do more. You're hoping for a, a little improvement in your temper. And he's saying, I'm going to do more. You're hoping for a little financial margin. He's saying, I'm going to do more. Whatever that more is, we just say, in fact, will you stand with me? Let's just pray this prayer. Lord, we come asking you to do more. God, I don't, I don't know the needs, but you do. I don't know the heartaches and the hurts, but you do. I don't know the frustrations, Lord. I don't know how many promises have been made and broken, but you do. And Lord, we stand before you today and say, as we, as we look ahead to a new year, will you do more? Lord, even more than our holy plans, even more than our spirit-inspired plans, even more than things we're sure you've called us to do, God, will you do more this year? Bring more hope, bring more joy, bring more peace, bring more comfort, bring more salvation. God, bring more power from your spirit. Lord, bring more. Bring more. Bring more of our sons and our daughters into a relationship with you. God, bring more. Holy Spirit, will you come in all of your fullness? Will you pour yourself out on each one of us? Lord, we need more humility. Give us the ability to receive the power of your spirit. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for thinking we can do this on our own. Forgive us for thinking we have the capacity to build your kingdom by ourselves. Lord, we come desperately needing more. Bring more assurance of our identity as your sons and your daughters. Bring more confidence that in the places you're calling us, you're going to equip us. Bring more of your spirit. More of your spirit. As the band leads us in the song, if, if you need those prayers, you need more of God's power, more of his might, I want to encourage you, head out the back doors and to your left. 
Some of our volunteers, our pastors are going to be waiting in the prayer room to pray those prayers for more of the Spirit's power, more of His grace, more of His peace. The rest of us, we're going to sing this song. It's our request, our declaration, our prayer for the fullness of the Spirit to overflow in our lives this year.
not just in this moment, but in every moment of every day. That as you return to work and to school, to your neighborhoods, to your gyms, wherever you might go, that you will walk with an awareness that the Spirit goes before you. That He has a purpose and a plan for each one of those moments. That as He causes you to stand out because of the transformed life Jesus has given to you, He's going to use you in those spaces to draw others to Him. So this week, when those opportunities come, Speak up with confidence, not relying on your own wisdom and strength, but on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say in those moments. Believing that as you speak, you participate with what he's doing in the life of that person in this season. And open the doors of invitation into the new life with Christ that you found. We'll be amazed at the transformation God will bring this year to us and through us. So may you go in his grace, may you go in his peace, May you go with an assurance of his spirit's power at work in your life. May God bless you and keep you. May you walk in confidence and faith. Thank you for worshiping him with us today. We'd love to see you in a home group this evening. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.